You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Hey, you know, victory emerging is to, it's, it's, it's actually to live out, we started looking at this last week, it's to live out and fulfill His calling and His, pur- and His purpose in our lives together and individually. And the two main reasons we're here doing what we do, I mean, first and foremost, to impact this city and beyond for the kingdom of God. And secondly, to be intentional about making disciples who make disciples. That's a given, not an option. When we come to the Word of God today, I believe that our faith can go to another level. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. I want you to position your hearts to do that now. Why don't we pray for a second? Father, right here, right now, and in our campus, Lord, up at Birmingham Gardens, when Pastor Jez and Pete Edwards begin to bring this word, God, we know that here and there, there's going to be a faith enlarged in our people. God, faith that moves mountains, faith that stops demons in their tracks, faith that sets the captive free, faith that sees healing come on people's lives. Father, we thank you for this word. It's so rich. It's so pure. It's enduring. God, it says in Psalm 119, your word is settled forever in heaven. So God, this word that is in heaven comes down to earth with power, authority, and changes us from the inside out. God, there's just grace all over this place because of your word this morning. So we position our hearts, our minds, our will, our spirit. God, to be changed, even by the sprinkling of this word, it says that you wash us clean. And we want to thank you for this word, so rich. God, we declare that we will be doers of this word, not just hearers only. Faith turned into works, God, will begin to change lives, even our own. And we want to thank you for this rich word in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to go back to the scripture. Uh, doesn't matter how many times you read this, it shouldn't move you. I've been reading this scripture, this particular passage, which started transforming me back in 1977, I think it was. I read it before that, but that's when it really hit me and started changing me. It wasn't just words on a page or words to somebody in history. They became live and quickened in my life that changed me forever. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Sometimes people think that on earth we are losing the battle and Jesus only rules in heaven. Nah. He has authority in heaven and on earth. Don't ever let the devil trick you to let you think he's winning the day. You can win a battle here and there but lose the war. And I'm telling you, he's losing the war. So, all authority. Go therefore, because I've got this authority, you can go, you can make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Last week we started talking about our kingdom commission, why we do what we do. Our kingdom commission is to fulfill this mandate that God has given to us, and that's why we do what we do. It's carried out by genuine followers of Christ, people who have a compassion for people. You can't do this without loving people. People who live in obedience to Him. 
Can I reverse that for a minute? Now, it's going to be a little bit strong, so just take a deep breath. I don't believe you can live in obedience to him without doing this. Ooh, I knew the air in the room just went out. Because there'd be a number of people sitting there going, I've never done this. That means I'm not obedient. Right, then become obedient. Obedience is not a gift, it's a choice. Be obedient to him and carry faith in his plan. God never gave us something to do that was never intended to happen. Look, I'm going to dangle this carrot and I'm going to say, you can make disciples of all nations. Nah, nah, nah. I tricked you. Not so. I believe, I was talking, Ryan and I, my son-in-law were talking on Saturday, Friday, whenever we were talking. And he said, do you believe there's a harvest coming one day that's going to be so big that people can't even number it? Because a lot of Christians live with this fatalistic view. Even so, come Lord Jesus, rescue us from this horrible world. I don't pray for the second coming quickly. Oh yeah, I want him to come. And he will come. And he will split the eastern sky. And his feet will plant in the Middle East. And he will rule with a kingdom that has no end. You mark it down. He is coming. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But the day that he comes, salvation ceases. It is not a time of grace. It is a time of war. I, that's a, the Bible says that people are so horrified by that day, they're going to crawl under rocks to hide. Don't hope for it quickly because many of the people you are surrounded by will be left and condemned. Listen to me. I believe that he has a plan, and you can go to the book of Revelation where it says John just wakes up and goes, oh, golly. And he looks at the throne in heaven and he said, I couldn't even begin to number the multitude around the throne worshiping the Lamb. People from every tribe and nation and tongue on earth. I believe there is a harvest coming like this world has never seen. Does that mean everybody's going to like us and it's getting easier to be a Christian? Absolutely not. But can I remind you that the light shines brightest where it's the darkest. Don't worry about this world getting dark. You, hear, you know when you're getting old, you sit and look at the news and go, oh, in my day it wasn't like that. I know when I start talking like that, it's time to switch off the news. Switch on the brain. And go, what's ruling? And you take on a pessimism. You know Solomon had that? Just read Ecclesiastes. Man, he got to a day where the grinders are wearing away. He's talking about his teeth. The sight, the lights are dim. He's talking about his eyesight. And he's, he's moaning, That's he's, he's lamentations, he's moaning about life. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go out like that. I want to go out, man, with fire, believing there's something coming that's transforming this world, no matter what is going on around us right now. We carry faith in his plan. And I want to tell you, his plan isn't worldwide conquest. Yeah, his plan is salvation to the ends of the earth. He's not out to conquer peoples. He's out to save peoples. This is our commission. So let's kind of move on. I, I don't want to preach. I can preach from last week. Anyway, our kingdom. I want to look at our kingdom commission. They're doing it up at Northwest. Uh, Pete Edwards, who is leader builder over the making of disciples, is up there today also with Jez. And they're sharing this from the depths of their heart. This is not a series. This is a must in the, in the life of Christians. If you just go, yeah, I'll be glad when that series is over, whoa, don't let your mind go there. Anyway, we're going to look at the who, the how, and the where of this commission. So I'm just going to kind of walk that through. 
because our kingdom commission happens through the ministry that God's given to us. Yes, every one of us. And let's talk about who. Who is meant to pursue this commission? Now, first and foremost, it's people who are passionate about being a genuine disciple. How, how stirred up, how zealous, how passionate are you about being a genuine follower of Jesus Christ that is becoming more and more like Him every day? I, I, you know, I can understand why people get disillusioned with church. And, and the reason being is because they see church as an event, not as a, a group of people who are changing each other with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they get tired of the event. I want to tell you, it's not about an event. It's about whatever we do, we're helping people to get passionate about being like Jesus. This is just like a, this is not an event. This is a rocket booster to your week. So you step out of here going, man, even when I go down to Maccas or wherever after, I'm going to live like Jesus. I'm going to be like Jesus. Because first and foremost, being a disciple is about having a desire to be like Jesus. I'm telling you, that's it, first and foremost. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us this, that God has predestined. I know you, some of you don't like that word. It's in the Bible, so don't argue with me. Take it up with God. He predetermined that you and I would become conformed to the likeness of His Son. God didn't just determine to give us heaven. He determined to make us like Jesus. Period. And that's his plan. And out of that comes a desire to live like Jesus. I don't want to, you know, to be like him, you know. I don't want to walk around with a girdle and a rope around my waist and long flowing hair. And I can't grow a big beard anyway, so. But I don't want to be like that. It's talking about his character in us and through us. His values becoming our values. Like one of the highest values of Jesus was living sonship. He said, I only do what my father, I see my father doing. I say what my father tells me to say. It's not my works that I'm doing here. It's the works of my father. He was so consumed with being that kind of son. I want to be like my father. It's other values. I mean, there's so many loving and forgiving people. I'm going to love people. Not based on their performance, but based on their value. Made in the image of God. Now, I want to tell you, I, I don't find that easy to do. Because we are, we are so baptized and brainwashed in a world that gets value from what we do and who elevates us in that. And I'm going to tell you, it's just as strong in the church as it is elsewhere. Just make note of that. We need to live out of these kind of values. And I'll tell you a value that just, it's, it's that S word that people don't like talking about because it's dirty. But the value of serving. Jesus said, you know, the Son of Man didn't come here to be served by all you people. I came to serve and to give my life away. How many of us live by the value of, it's not what I get, but what I give? Wow. That's, that's a radical kind of thought, but that's the values of Jesus. This, this is about people who are passionate about being like Jesus. But it's also about people who are passionate about making disciples. Being has got to turn into doing. As a matter of fact, if you're not doing, then you're not really being. Mm. I mean, the Bible says that through and through, that Jesus says, man, this is my priority. I didn't just come here to be something. I came here also to do something. And he said in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, I must. Now, when Jesus says must, 
That's a pretty strong phrase. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I've been sent. Listen, I came to the world for this. I'm not here for anything else but this. And for Jesus, listen, you need to know, in that context, he had a healing crusade the night before, and it said everybody that was brought to him got healed or delivered or whatever. Everybody. So they were so excited in Capernaum, the next day they gathered up everybody they could. Anybody sick, anybody got a toenail that's, that's ripped off or anything, just come along. This guy will heal you. And they finally find him because he's been in prayer. And they say, here, Jesus, we know you want to do this. How good is it? And he goes, yeah, not. But I thought you came to heal people. I thought you came to deliver people. He said, that's part of it. But what I really came for, what I must do above everything else, is get the kingdom to people wherever and not just in this one spot. It's not about my healing prowess. It is about his kingdom. I, 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 I struggle. I would always struggle with naming a ministry after me, the Keith Edwards Crusades. Or something like that. I'm not, I don't want to judge people who do it. But I just couldn't do that. And I'll tell you why. Because it's not about whatever gift I have. It's not about whatever ministry I do. It's not about what happens when I pray. It is about His kingdom. I must take this kingdom to every place I go. And that's what Jesus said. A lot of good things I could do. But there's one thing I must do. Hmm. And it's get this out wherever I go. You know, even just yesterday, I'm, I'm kind of milling through the sermon, thinking about it, working on it. I get a FaceTime from overseas. Open it up. It's a pastor from overseas. And he calls and he says, Pastor Keith, we need help. You've got to help us. We've got to get our churches back to the foundational priority that God trusted us with when we started. And it's making disciples. So my antenna goes up. Oh, I'm hearing it again from a different nation. And you know what he was saying? We've just gotten so distracted by a lot of good things, we forgot that one thing. Come help. Listen, Jesus' priorities are our priorities. Making disciples, extending his kingdom. Everything else might be good, but it's not the must. And that was the call of Jesus. And you need to know, he did not call the half-hearted who only wanted the benefits of hanging around him. There were thousands of people that wanted the bread and the fish. They wanted the healing of the moment. They wanted the, 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 the slick teaching that he gave on the mountainside. But they weren't really wanting to be changed and make a change. I want to tell you, Jesus called people, and I'm going to use this word, who were zealous about his kingdom. Yes, I did use the dirty Z word. Zealous. Oh, that's fanatical. That's what terrorists do. No, that's what Christians do. Because, you know, that word is actually found in the Bible in a lot of places. It doesn't appear in your English, but it's there in the Greek called zelute. They were zealous. And you know what Jesus said when people were going, hey, I like this thing you're doing. I want to hang around you. Can I kind of hang around for a while? You know what he said? Shocking words. Well, then come follow me. And they said, yeah, I, I will. But first... But first, isn't that interesting? But first, let me do some things. And you know what he said? No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And he's not calling the half-hearted. He's not calling the distracted. He's not calling the people who only want the perks of being a disciple. He's calling the zealous. 
interesting. Making disciples is a call to those who keep their eyes on the commission that's ahead of them and they move with vision and passion. Nothing else really matters that much, which is amazing. And our church, you know, our church, we've been on a journey for the past few years. And the whole truth of what it means to be a community that is committed to being genuine disciples of Christ and creating genuine Christ-like disciples is becoming clearer and stronger. You're going to hear it again and again and again. And while we're not throwing out structure, we're not throwing out programs, we are on a mission to do what Jesus told us to do. And if that structure and if those programs are no longer going to serve helping people to become like Jesus and to live like Jesus out there, then that structure is negotiable. And so is that program. It takes a lot of guts to go, that no longer has this purpose. Let's just shelve it and go to what does. But that's what we're on about, guys. It's, it's, it's turning people into radical followers of Christ, not just active members of the church club who find themselves busy in a bunch of programs. You go, oh, hang on there. What's the difference between a program and our ministries or services that we do? What's the difference? I'll tell you, the most notable difference is that our ministries and our services exist to glorify Him and to make disciples like Him. Period. And if it doesn't, we need to go, negotiable. Because in everything we do, we might not do it perfect, but we're on this journey to go, we're getting this better. It's not just, a, can I say this as nice as I can? It's not just about me delivering a nice sermon to you and ticking it after I go home going, yeah, I got that one done today. Oh, next week. I, I don't do that. You, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't get in the car and go home and go, dang, I'm already thinking about next Sunday. Flip hours worth of preparation and prayer I don't do that I don't think like that you know what I think like God there's so much more you want to say and so much more you want to do and so much you want to change lives with and I can't wait to bring your word do I get tired doing it of course I do I'm not young anymore I get wrung out doing it man I sweat like a grease pig at a Hawaiian luau up here that's how I know I'm working hard but not because I tick a box in my job to do list but because I want to make us into radical followers of Jesus Christ who want to do the same. I don't preach this sermon because we have to have a service. I preach this sermon because I know the power of this word to change us. But not just change us, to help change people around us. Anyway, let's keep going. I'll, I'll, I'll start getting crazy here in a minute. But I, look, we, we want to see this outworking in all of our ministries. Every ministry we've got. And... and while we're not at the place we believe we should be, we are zealous and committed to pursuing this kingdom commission in our ministries. Listen to me. And one, I mean, we've got many of them, but one of those, and I'm just going to feature it right now, one of those is our incredible kids' ministry. Now, I'd say applaud them, but they're out making disciples, which is a good thing. I thank God for a kids' ministry that doesn't babysit, but makes disciples. I thank God for, man, they, they, and can I tell you this right now? Our kids' ministry is dominated by teenagers leading it. We need some adults in there. Listen to me. And don't do it by guilt, do it by passion. If, if, if something is stirring in your heart like, man, I can you think of any better place to start making disciples than in small kids? Man, we ought to, our kids ought to walk out of there and over to here and start laying hands on people and praying for them to be healed because they've been discipled to do so. But they can only do that 
when they're discipled to do so. And if you get it in your heart as an adult to go, I, I want to join this. We need some because our volunteers and our leaders who do this week in, week out are absolute champions. Absolute champions. These young people miss out on this every week, these teenagers, so they can not babysit your children but build your children into disciples. Join them. But let me tell you what else. You know, when, uh, when uh, we plant churches, I just kind of stand up in the pulpit and I go, God's saying it's time, so I'm throwing some seed. And when that seed lands on the right ground out there, a heart that's fertile for, to receive that seed, you come see me and we'll start talking about the next church campus or plant or whatever. Well, I got some seed I'm throwing out right here, right now. I am throwing out seed because I believe that right now God is starting to stir in somebody's heart to be our new children's leaders, maybe slash pastors, because we don't have that right now. Great team, but we don't have the overseer. We got great teenagers and Chris Windus doing a great job here and Sam and the others up at Northwest, but we do not have the shepherd of our children right now. Now, why should we have shepherds of adults and young adults and old farts and young snots, I'll say, but we don't have shepherds for children? And I'm throwing the seed. And it's going to hit somebody out there and it's going to land on a ground that's just ready and fertile and waiting. And if that's you, you come see me. Because I know God's put in your heart to disciple these young lives. And if you're an adult that says, man, I, I, God's been stirring up. It's funny you say that this morning. Come see us. We want it to be right there at the beginning. Let me talk about something. I'm going to run out of time this morning because I want to teach this, unpack this. I want to talk about the concept of commission. I don't want to miss this. You know, I can easily throw out the word commission and think everybody understands that. So let me just talk about it for a minute. Commission by default is the opposite of omission. Simple. Stupid is or stupid does. You know what omission, omission means? Something has been left out. Right? This is not the great omission that we leave out of our vision, out of our life, out of our values. This is commission. And this kingdom commission is not an option that we can leave out. And passion for this commission, listen to me. Some of you have switched off because you go, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Who said the E word? I didn't. Who said the G word? Gift. I didn't. Who said the P word? Position. I didn't. I can keep going down the list. Because the kingdom commission isn't about a gift, a position, or even a personality type. But I'm introverted. Well, Mr. or Miss Introvert, do you have friends? Of course you do. Do you have family? I hope so. You didn't crawl out from under a rock. Then you can do this. You should do this. Because it's not about a special qualification. Listen to me. Somebody has duped the church and caused them to go into a stupor or a sleep thinking it's gift, position, power, qualification. And Jesus is going, uh-uh. They're a bunch of fishermen. They couldn't even spell fishermen. Now you might not feel qualified for this. Great, join the rest of us. I read a book while I was away called unqualified. That's a good book to read when you're on holidays, isn't it? Unqualified. And in it, Stephen Furtick said this, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Was I qualified to preach the word of God before I said I'm called? Heavens no. I'd never preached a message in my life 
before I knew I was meant to preach the word. So how would I know if I was qualified? Have you ever prayed for the sick and seen them healed? No. Well, you're unqualified. Well, guess what? That, that then sets you up to be called. You're called. Because the commission that Jesus gave right before his departure, it wasn't a call for just the 11 disciples. It was a commission given to all of his followers of all times, and that means you and me and all of us. Or else the Bible is just an ancient book and we're reading history. No, it's relevant right now. That's the commission. Let me say one more thing about this commission. Commission means an assignment with authority. Hear this, it's important. This authority has been given to every believer, not just a select few. Authority is not based on the highness of position. Oh, you've got more authority because you are higher. Nah, not so. When it comes to making disciples, there, there is no hierarchy of authority. As a matter of fact, those who have authority are like children. Oh, you be like, you got to be like a child, Jesus said. And so the, the passion for this assignment comes through, number one, knowing that He's called us and He believes in us. Know in your heart of hearts that Jesus believes in you for this. He did not leave you on planet earth to go through all the rubbish you're going through or to face all the trials you face or even to have all the nice things you have. He left you here so that you can make disciples. Look at the harvest, He said. He didn't say, it's pitiful. He said, it's plentiful. But the workers are few. Why? Because they don't believe that he believes in them. Oh, but I don't have the gift of harvesting. No, but you got the call. Secondly, you need to believe that he can do through you what he said he could do. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Do you understand? I think last week I told you about the context of that. That's verse 18 but if, and 19, but if you backtrack to verse 16 and 17, you know what the context is? He meets up with the disciples in, in Galilee this time. So, you know what that says? He has already met them several times in Jerusalem. They've traveled hundreds of kilometers north to Galilee. So, there's been encounters with him, days about this and everything, and now he meets them again and he walks in the room. And you know what it says? Some of them worshiped and others doubted. In the context of their doubt, their fear, and their disbelief in all this stuff, Jesus said, don't be afraid because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And because of that, you can do this. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Yeah, but Keith, if you knew the stuff in my life, I am so glad the people that helped me find Christ weren't perfect people because that would have said to me, I can't be like you. Never. Matter of fact, they were brand new Christians with a lot of baggage. But they still believed that God called them. Because they had passion for me. And Jesus is telling us that we do this because he's authorized us to do this. And I'm telling you, no demon or devil, no government or political system, no skeptic or cynic can prevent you from doing what you have been trusted and commissioned to do. But your authority is released in your going not in your sitting or staying. Oh, I, I'm just nervous about talking to my neighbor about Jesus. Stand up, open your mouth and start. The authority comes. Boldness is there. It's promised to you. 
You don't have to whip it up. It just comes. It happens. As you start. Authority is released in the going. So how does all of this work? Well, it's got to work by the, the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. Because if it's me trying to convince somebody to be like Jesus and to follow Jesus, then I'm just a salesman. And I don't know about you, but I'm not the greatest at that. I'm not the greatest in talking somebody into something they don't really want. But when the Holy Spirit is at work, when the Father is at work, I just stand back and go, man, I'm amazed. You know, Jesus said this, but you will, not you might, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, throughout Samaria, Judea, ends of the earth. Listen, you've been given power. You're his witnesses. You know what that means? I've got the Holy Spirit on me and in me, so it happens out of a well. Rivers of living water are flowing in me, in you. You don't have to create that. You just have to flow in it. Because you, you don't generate this thing called life. The Holy Spirit is at work in you already overflowing with life. That's the truth. It, does, it, it happens out of a well, but it also happens out of a walk, a walk of being led and empowered by the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, Paul said. That means a lifestyle. I, I'm, I'm being led by the Spirit. So, you know, I don't have to go buttonhole somebody, everybody on the streets, and, go, and, and that's called making disciples. I am led by the Spirit because He has started making the ground. I'm, I'm amazed when I talk to people about Jesus so many times, they're already interested. I didn't, I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to sell them a fire insurance policy that gets them out of hell. They're already, something has been germinating in their soul to make them think about a need of God, which is amazing. Led by the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit goes, Keith, go talk to them. All right, okay. Father's got them ready. Oh, yeah, okay. And all of a sudden, power starts happening because not only is it the presence and the power of the spirit that's necessary to make this work it works best in the context of authentic relationship now every one of us have these gee i wish i had time i'd really love there's this story in luke chapter 7 verses 36 to 50 and uh, and luke is unpacking this story it's the story of jesus a pharisee named simon nothing do you simon pharisee named Simon, and a sinful woman. Story begins where Simon invites Jesus as his guest to dinner. Jesus comes to his house and he sits at the table, reclines at the table, and as he's sitting at the table, now understand in the Middle East back then, table's low, when they sit down, they put their feet out to the side because they're, they're reclined a bit, and the closest part of their body to the table is the feet. That's why it's important that you give them water to have their feet washed. More importantly, you provide a servant to wash their feet. Jesus sitting at the table, you know, he's just probably sitting there. Forget my boots. Yes, and I do have a lot of them. And he's sitting there probably something like this. And all of a sudden he feels something hit his foot and he looks. And he's surprised his feet are getting wet. And he looks up behind him. There's a woman. And he looks at the woman. And all of a sudden, she's washing his feet with her tears. She's crying all over his feet, starting to wash them. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd get incredibly uncomfortable at that moment, particularly when she gets down low and starts wiping the dirt and the water off his feet with her long hair. You understand, 
to the Jews in the Middle East at that time, a woman's glory was her hair. Do you understand that? She has taken the highest part of her glory and put it on the lowest part of his body. Uh, she's washing him. I can imagine Jesus turned and he looks at Simon. He's watching Simon. And then the woman doesn't just do that. She takes a bottle of expensive perfume. Now, the unique thing about this woman is she's not just a woman. She's a prostitute. She's had many men. According to Old Testament law, it was a violation of God's rules for Jesus to allow her to touch him, according to the Pharisees. And so she takes this expensive perfume, probably cost her everything she owned. We're not talking about plain old olive oil that a, that a host puts on your head when you come in to say, welcome, you are honored here. We are now talking about everything I have that would sustain the rest of my life, I'm pouring out on the lowest part of your body. Man, the air must have been thick. You could have cut it with a knife. Nobody was breathing. <gasps> They're holding their breath for the whole time. Simon is just livid. How could she do this to my guest? And yet, when Jesus walks into Simon's house, he didn't kiss him on the cheek, which is customary. It's like us welcoming somebody in our home. Hey, welcome, glad to have you at our meal. By Simon not kissing him on the cheek is like saying, yeah, just sit anywhere. You're here. I invited you, but you're here. It's almost like, thanks for coming, thanks for leaving. Didn't put oil on his head to say, thank you for coming, I honor the fact that you would spend time with me right now as a special guest. And even the lowest of all, he didn't even provide water for Jesus to wash his own feet. I don't care if you're dirty. Just sit down. Obviously, Simon didn't think he had anything to offer Jesus since he didn't think Jesus had anything to offer him, especially forgiveness. So Jesus tells a parable about forgiveness and being set free, and Simon guessed it. So who do you think is going to be more grateful, the one with the big debt or the small debt? And Simon goes, well, the big debt, of course. And Jesus said, yeah, you've said right. And then he turns and he looks at the woman with Simon listening, and he says this in verse 47 and 48. Therefore, because you got the point, mate, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. In other words, Simon, you don't even think you need a little bit of forgiveness, which is evidence that there's no love there. You're just wanting to judge and to trap. Then Jesus turned and looked at the woman and said one of the most amazing things, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because she washed her feet? No, because she came in humility knowing she needed her life changed. And the only person in Palestine that could do that was Jesus of Nazareth. Interesting. Jesus shows acceptance and care, not based on her performance, but he shows care and he built a platform. Even before she made this decision, he didn't, he didn't push her away. He accepted her. He saw the person, not what she did. And yet Simon looked at her, and he looked at Jesus, and he judged. Both of them, 
The woman comes seeking acceptance and forgiveness. Simon can't do anything but judge. I like what Butler says in his commentary. Jesus didn't dispute the woman's condition with Simon. Both agreed how sinful she was. The question was how acceptable she was. Just let that sink in for a minute. To the Son of God, she was still acceptable. Not her sin, her as a person. Simon was repulsed at the sight of her presence. Jesus let her touch, kiss, and wash him. Why? Because she loved much. Because she was a human in need of divine grace. There is your difference between religion and relationship with God. And we are surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people every day who need this. Because you know what? Disciple making begins long before a person makes a decision. Did you know that? It begins long before they've walked the aisle, prayed a prayer, or prayed a prayer anywhere. It begins long before that with you putting a value on a person and saying, God dearly loves you. Yes, but I've done this. No, you didn't hear me. God dearly loves you. Yeah, but I'm cynical. Yeah, but God dearly loves you. But I'm not even sure I want him. Yeah, but God dearly loves you. So where is this commission best worked out? Let me wrap this up. Beginning at verse, uh, at the end of verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All the nations. You know the phrase that Jesus uses, or he probably spoke in Aramaic, but Matthew records it in Greek. He uses it in the plural. Ta ethne. The peoples of the planet. He's not talking about political, geographical boundaries. He's talking about people everywhere. No matter what they believe, no matter what language they speak, no matter what their gender is, I'm telling you, people everywhere, you go and make disciples of them. Which means this. People groups that we come in contact with day by day. You go, Keith, I'm not called to go overseas. You don't have to go overseas. There are people all around you every day. People grouping that need Jesus, the grouping of people near where we live, the grouping of people at work, the grouping of people we call family and friends. They're part of that group of people that Jesus says should be worshiping around my throne. All people groups. Best worked out in. And it's best worked out in our going. This is about going, not only with authority, listen to me, but with intention. Every ministry that we do, everything that we do, we need to intentionally look and believe for these opportunities to help people become radical followers of Jesus Christ who do the same with their friends. Listen, I am so glad that more than 43 years ago, two teenagers, two teenagers, one of them, a brand new Christian, they weren't pastors, they didn't have any leadership position, no Bible degree, but what they did have was they had a passion for Keith Edwards to become a follower of Jesus Christ and to become like him. And nothing, not even kids at high school who made fun of them, made them ashamed to tell me that Jesus loved me. Even when I told them, go to hell, they said, well, you are, we're not, but we still know that you need Jesus and we're going to love you into this. And I am here today because of those two teenagers. I am so thankful for that. Let's stand to our feet.
Listen, today, I just want to give an opportunity again. I never, ever assume that everyone sitting in here is a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about perfect. I'm talking about a person who says, I believe in Him and I want to be like Him. And I don't assume everybody here is that. should never make that assumption. You can sit in church all your life. That, no, that doesn't make you a Christian no more than sitting in your garage will make you a car. It is this decision and this surrender to Jesus and who He is, the Lord of all creation, who came and died on a cross for our sins, who was buried and who was raised again, that we can have new life. It is a surrender. Listen, by the way, it's not even just a simple belief. It is a trust with all that I am. I trust you with my eternity and my future. Because what you did at the cross, you did for me. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If that's you this morning, you don't know beyond any doubt that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have surrendered your life to Him and you believe that what He did at the cross 2,000 years ago, He died in your place as a substitute for your sins. He was buried and He was raised again so that we can have new life. If you haven't or you don't right now, know beyond any doubt that you place your, your absolute trust in Him. Why not today? Why not now? Why not you? Why not? I know there would be voices other than God that would tell you to put this off. But God himself from heaven is urging, pleading. The Bible says in Romans 5, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to be perfect. He didn't wait till we got our act together. Even while we were in a bad place, God let his own son die for us. And you're here today and you need to make that decision and that surrender and that trust to follow him and to give your life to him. Just wave at me and say, Keith, pray for me. I don't know that. And I don't, look, I don't want to wait till it's too late. Uh, this opportunity doesn't come every day. Matter of fact, it doesn't even come every week. And if that's you, say, Keith, just pray for me. I don't know. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you. That, that today will be a day when you experience the incredible goodness and grace and love of God that goes beyond all comprehension. Is there anybody like that here today that would say, Keith, pray for me? I don't know. Say, Keith, why do you keep doing this week after week? I'm just glad where those teenagers took me to hear that they did this week after week. What if I went on a week where they didn't give an opportunity? I might not be here today. And I want us in our meetings to give people opportunities to make that decision. I want you to be confident in inviting your friends that they will be given that opportunity. So Father, right now in Jesus' name, thank you so much that you've entrusted us with the greatest endeavor, commission, opportunity that this planet could ever experience and that's helping men and women and boys and girls. We are surrounded with every day, every people group to help them become radical followers of you. You made it all possible because you said, I have authority, now I authorize you. You can do this. I believe in you. So, Father, as we stand now to pray for those people groups around us, stir in our hearts, bring to our memories family, friends, colleagues, 
God, that we will cry out to you for their salvation in Jesus' name. Just keep standing. We're going to, Nate's going to lead us in prayer for this. Yeah, come on. So, right off the back of Pastor Keith's message about um, God calling the zealous. We're going to get on the front foot and demonstrate a little bit of passion stirring inside of us for those that we know that have not yet met the Jesus that we've met, who don't know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And uh, what we've got, we've got a bit of a slide to go up just, just to help you consider who in your world you might want to pray for right now. We're going to spend um, about five minutes praying deliberately, specifically into opportunities that our friends, our family, our neighbors, our workmates, even people that we would consider strangers in our world that we don't really know, that we would have opportunity to, to be able to bring Jesus and speak Jesus into their world, that they might go from, from, from being completely anti-God, but that we might through, through opportunity, uh, time after time after time, see them do the journey to the point where they might uh, interact with God and receive what He did on the cross. So we're going to be very deliberate in praying this morning. If you have people on your heart, on your mind, use their name. Pray by name this morning for those people. Now, I'm not going to be the one that does all the praying this morning, church. All right? I'm not going to be the one that's yelling in the microphone right now because I know that just like I have people, you have people. Okay? And this is about you rising up as well to pray for those people right now in this moment. So come on, church. I want, to, I want you to be louder. I'm going to put the mic down, but I want you to be louder than what I'm going to pray. So that was a bit of a challenge this morning. So come on. disciples of all people groups uh, in Jesus name hallelujah 
Hallelujah. Come on. It's good. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.